So darling, don't stand by me Please don't stand by me Please don't, don't stand by me Whenever you're infected, don't you stand by me Please don't stand by me Please don't, don't stand by me Hi, welcome back to Quarantine and Chill. This is Philo speaking. Um, we are not in quarantine, even though the podcast is called Quarantine and Chill, but we still are in the so-called COVID situation. Uh, I don't know if you heard about, I feel like it's been eight years at this point. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe it hasn't been exactly eight years. It just feels like that. But um but yeah, so we, we're, still, we're getting vaccines right now, so hopefully uh, this will go out, well, it will end soon, but there are still many people not doing it, and to all the people that are not taking vaccines and that are listening to this right now, I can ensure, I, I can tell you a bit about my experience. So I actually, uh, after getting the vaccine, since I got the vaccine, uh, my penis doubled in size, so... <laughs> So if you're insecure about your, uh, you know, the, about getting the vaccine, but also about uh, life in general, uh, this could be the turning point for your life if you get it. So go get the vaccine right now. Stop listening to the podcast or just listen, and listen to it on the way there. And then you'll um, be happy about it. It's not only the length, it's also the width. But yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this is, um, I mean, probably it's not clear from this intro, but this is not really, a po- it's not going to be an episode about COVID or uh, penis sizes, uh, but it's going to be a uh, podcast about finance, about stock market, about a little bit what's happening in these years and, you know, how um, how easy and accessible this the stock market is getting for everybody. And here with me, there's a, a really good friend of mine. He used to steal all the girls from everybody in school. Uh, and now he's so pretentious that he's also gonna teach me finance. But no, I'm, of course, I'm kidding. Uh, it's uh, great to have you here, Lorenzo. Hi, Philo. Thank you for having me. Uh, hopefully by now you'll be on your way to get vaccinated, <laughs> running to the, to the vaccine center. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me and hopefully you'll enjoy this conversation about all things finance and investing. Yes. Well, actually, so I'm just, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm very bad at this topic. I don't know a lot of things, but I think it's going to be good because the fact that I'm naive, it's going to, I'm going to like, it's going to be kind of, kind of valuable because many people don't really know about this topic or maybe are, and you're going to yeah, clarify yeah, most think, of the things. I think a lot of the times... Uh, finance can look quite scary. People, when they hear finance, they immediately think about numbers and yes. difficult things. But most of the times, it's actually easier than it seems. And the concepts and the topics are a bit, they're complex, of course. But if you ask the right questions and if you see it in the right way, it, it becomes all simple. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. So, okay, I'm going to start by telling you some myths myth around um, around. The, the stock market more specifically, I mean finance, but the stock market more specifically. And uh, I think there are seven or eight myths, mm-hmm. but we're gonna go one by one and you're gonna like, tell me maybe a short, an- a short answer and a long answer. So the first one is stock market investing is essentially much like gambling. Okay. So what's your short answer? <clears throat> My short answer is no. Okay. My long answer is yes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. I, Personally, I don't like to see the stock market. Uh, I don't like to see the inve- investing as gambling. Okay. Because the moment where you um, look at the stock market as a game, then you start losing money. Mm. So I think it's, it's actually quite interesting because there's different aspects to it. There's a cultural aspect. So for example, when you look at the language that you use when you talk about the stock market, in English you say, you play the stock market. In French you say, jouer à la bourse. In Italian, you can also say giocare in borsa, which literally means that you're playing the stock market. It's like you're playing a game. 
Right. The stock market is not a game because it involves money, it involves risk, it involves people saving sometimes. So it has to be taken seriously. So I think personally, I don't like to think of it as gambling um, because the moment you, you look at it as, as gambling, um, that's when it can become dangerous and then that's when you can start making the wrong decisions, I think. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the statistics, it can be like gambling. Um, so there's plenty of different strategies that you can use. I'm just going to use the two simplest ones, which are on the one side trading and on the other side investing. So trading is when you buy something and you resell it on the same day, during the same week or during the, after one month. Investing is a bit of a more long-term process. So you can buy something, hold it for like two months, three months, one year, and then you can resell it. So two different strategies. And when you look at the statistics about trading, it's like gambling. So it's as if basically you're playing the, uh, it's like gambling. So basically you're playing the, the roulette, you're the casino and you're betting on either black or, or, um, or red. Yeah. And the statistics in gambling, it's 50-50 with trading. It's like 52% and 48%. Oh, wow. Okay. And basically the 2% difference is mainly due to talent and skills. Ah. So people who are good at trading, they're able to win and people who are bad at it. They don't know how to do it. Um, they lose 48% of the time. Right. So the trading aspect is very similar to playing, um, uh, playing the roulette, okay. right? So about 50-50, the statistics. Yeah. When you look at investing, the more long-term process, I wouldn't say that it's like the roulette. I would say that it's more like poker. Okay. Because in investing, it's not about the single hand, mm -hmm. whereas trading, it's about one hand. Investing is about the aggregation of all your hands. Right, okay. And so in, at the end of the day, it matters not necessarily the one hand, but it matters. You have to understand when to go all in and when to fold at the right time. Mm. I think that's the best explanation that I can give. But like, but would you say that investing then it's, well, in investing, it's more difficult to, to win money or is it more difficult in trading or is it just different because maybe investment takes way more time? Yeah, you need to have a, a definitely a different mentality. So I don't think you can compare trading and investment right. because it's two different outcomes. One, yeah. you're doing it for the short term. One, you're doing it for long the long term. term. Yeah. Um, from a statistic perspective, investing is maybe more, more can be more profitable because, right. um, I mean, when you have a 50-50 chance, it's really like gambling. Yeah. Whereas investing, a lot more research goes in, a lot more experience goes in. And so that's where you can actually make more, uh, more money, I think, over the yeah. long term, at least. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. So and when you said, actually, when you start gambling, that's when you lose money. So what, what, do you, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, I think, um, think about this. When you're gambling, you, you're not really thinking about what you're doing. Ah. You're not really thinking about your decisions. Um, you're just gambling. So you're going on and you're hoping for a different outcome, even though the statistics are against you. Right. And it's the same thing with investing or trading. You have to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You have to do the research, especially today when, for example, in trading, if you're, if you're an individual and you think you can make money with trading, yeah. uh, you're bullshitting yourself because you're competing not only against the big financial institutions, you're competing against computers and algorithms. Yeah. And the moment you start competing with algorithms, I don't think you yeah, have good no. chances. Okay, so yeah, that's, I think that's a very good answer. So if you want, I don't know if you want to say anything else about this point or I can move on to the next myth. Uh, stock think? market investing is essentially much like gambling. Mm, don't consider it a game, but look at the statistics and it actually, it's actually quite similar to gambling and poker. Oh, actually, oh, maybe it's something on that. So would you say that maybe though, from a point of view, stock investing in stock market or trading can become addicting like gambling yeah absolutely and i think i mean that's i think that's a perfect transition to another topic mm. which uh, is very important today which is um the accessibility of markets and mm. we can talk about that even more in detail uh, when people don't know what they're what they're doing especially in the stock market uh, they can get addicted and today there's plenty of apps that allow you to trade yeah. without any commissions, um, but they're basically gamifying the stock market. Right. And so when you, when you do a particular transaction, like balloons come up and yeah. confetti come up and it kind of takes away from the seriousness that it's supposed to, to be. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, 
so of course it can be addictive yeah 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 because i mean to be fair i don't know i know so many people that actually have fun doing it i mean also because of what you said you know like they're trying to make it as uh, game like as possible just to make you invest more money i guess mm-hmm. uh, no it's interesting it's interesting so yeah so if you're investing right now be careful uh, <laughs> don't get addicted and uh, consult us and listen to this podcast. Consult your financial advisor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the second, uh, to the second point, uh, second myth. Okay, so the myth says uh, the stock market is exclusive, exclusively for experts. So we already kind of talked a little bit about that, but like, what, what do you have to say? Short answer and long answer. Um, short answer, no. Long answer, no. Okay. Um, So, I mean, all all of these myths are kind of uh, connected to each other. Yeah. The stock market is not exclusively for experts. And when we think that, when we think of finance, when we think of investing, and when we think of the stock market or the capital markets in general as only a place for uh, experts, I think we make a mistake because it should be accessible to everybody and everybody should be able to manage their finances through the stock market if they wish to do so. Um, as I said before, you have to be, you have to know what you're doing, of course, yeah. but it's not reserved to experts. There's actually some very interesting statistics that, um, like over the long term, not even the experts are able to beat the market. So in the stock market, the market can go up or down over the long term. There's a trend mm-hmm. and the usual trends, I mean, for the last hundred years or so, in the US, it's been that every year the market has returned about 8 to 10%, mm. right? So every year the market has gone up 8%. In Europe, it's a bit lower, it's from 6 to 8. And the statistics are that not even the fund, ma- the fund managers, so the people that manage the big institutional money, mm. um, on average, nobody's able to beat the market. So on average, nobody's able to have higher than 10% returns. So not even the experts can beat the market. Right. They all earn on average about the same return as the market generates. Okay. So it's absolutely not a place for, for experts. But again, you need to know what you're doing. But yeah, exactly. Because I was going to ask you then, like uh, my, my counterpoint kind of, uh, again, in a very naive way. What do you, do you think that the fact that so many people that are not experts, that maybe are not let's say, well-educated, can it be negative that all of these people, all of this huge mass of people can invest in the market? Maybe let's say they invest in the, either in the wrong thing or maybe in a very unethical um, um, company or in, they move the market, they shift the market in the wrong direction. What do you mm-hmm. think? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally think that capital markets should be accessible to everybody, yeah. but people have to be educated about the risks and the reward. Yeah. So a lot of people think that the way you judge some, somebody's performance in the market, you don't judge somebody when they do one transaction or two transactions or when they've been investing for two years. Yeah. You judge somebody on a 20 year record. That's how you judge somebody because on the two years, it can just be pure luck, right? right? As in statistics, right? You're gambling, you're tossing a coin, you can go a hundred times heads. Yeah. And it's statistically possible. And so it's also statistically possible that you're earning great returns for two years. And then after two years, you start losing money. Mm. So your performance has to be measured over the 20 year period or 30 year, whatever it is, mm-hmm. or long term. Um, and that's the danger because a lot of people, I've, I've actually talked to a lot of people that have started investing and they, we've had conversations and they're like, yeah, I earned 34% this year. And I'm like, the next question that I ask is, okay, what's, what's your annualized return? So let's say you've been investing for four years, you earned 34% this year, but what's your annualized return? Right. And they're like 2%. Mm. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so you have to be able to, in order to be a good investor, you have to show that you have sustained good performance. Yeah. So year on year, you're able to create, generate what's called the technical terms is, is alpha. So alpha is the difference between your own personal return and the return of the market that we were talking about, the eight to 10%. Before. Right, okay. So if I generate 15% in one year yeah. and the market generates 8%, my alpha is the difference. But you can still, you can still gain money 
even if you're not over, if you don't beat the market, right? Or no, not really. Yeah, of course. Oh, if, okay. I, if I earn 2%, um, then I earn 2% in a year. Right. But if the market earns 6% in the same year, yeah. then my performance is quite shit, right? Ah, okay. Because Just, so basically you're comparing to other investors. Yeah, oh, you, have okay. to, you, you always have to look at your performance in relative terms. Right, okay. Because I can earn 2% and it can look great on paper. But if everybody else is earning 6%, mm. then it means that there's something wrong with me, right, okay. with my methods and with my strategy of investing. Mm. So you have to uh, kind of measure yourself against the benchmark. The benchmark can be a market yeah. or it can be whatever you want. For us individuals, uh, I mean, it, it's quite easy, but the benchmark is our savings rate. Yeah. So I'm an individual. With my money, I can either leave it in my bank account in the savings where at least here in Luxembourg, I earn close to 0%. Yeah. Or I can do something else with it and measure my performance. If I'm able to earn more than 0.05%, yeah. then I, I made a good choice, right? Yeah. No, of course. No, it's very, very interesting. But I can imagine it's also super... I mean, we, we know it is super stressful for investors because you have this uh, constant benchmark that you need to, I don't know, overcome. I'm not, yeah, <laughs> you always watch all those movies with the, I don't know, yeah, the investors like, in Wall Street. Where they're and shouting and screaming. Exactly. I mean, it's actually like this, yeah. but because again, it's like different strategies. Those people that are screaming every day and shouting and over the phone, they have specific targets to, to reach every, every day or every month. Yeah. And so I can understand why. But yeah, of course, of yeah. course. It's a constant pressure, exactly. a constant reminder that you need to do better and be better and better. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so uh, actually, wait, I was going to ask you uh, uh, still about this. Are algorithms and all of these things like really like, um, like let's say an investor in Wall Street, like why are there still so many brokers and we don't only rely on algorithms and like computers? That, that's a great question. <laughs> I think um, part of it is... It's just that there's so many people involved and there's such a strong industry mm. and we've become so reliant on the industry that it's just not going to change. Another reason is possibly ego, like personal human ego. Okay. So there's plenty of research out there that says that passive investing is better than active investing. And I'm just going to explain what the two are. Passive investing is when you just, you, you don't, choose what to invest in you just say i'm going to invest in the european index and so you just buy the index and the index has everything in it all the companies in europe and for you to make money the index has to go well right so that's that's called passive you just okay. invest in an index active investment is when you select which uh which stocks to invest in so i'll say for example i'll buy 100 shares of nestle 110 shares of bnp Mm -hmm. Okay, just to make a few examples. And there's plenty of research that says that passive investing is actually generates higher returns than active investing. Um, and so people are saying, okay, why should I waste my time on doing all the research mm -hmm. to select those few stocks that I want to buy when I can just buy an index and perform better? Right. And I think part of that is an, e is an ego problem because people are saying, yeah, yeah. Regular people don't know how to invest, mm. but I'm a good investor. I know how to make money. Right, okay. And so everybody does that. And that's why, why you still have a lot of people investing themselves and, and picking stocks themselves. Mm. Wow, interesting. interesting. <laughs> it's quite um, interesting. I mean, you, you kind of know the typical stereotype of the finance person, which is arrogant, yeah. presumptuous. Right. Uh, <laughs> they think they know everything. So you can imagine that there's plenty of people with lots of egos to defend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, interesting. Okay, so that was all part of the second myth. So I'm going to move on to the third one. So this one says, you can only make money by investing a lot of money. So short answer okay. and long answer. Um, short answer is no. Long answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, so very contradicting <laughs> answers, but yeah. Again, I, I don't want to make it too complex, but I think that... Um, I mean, I, I would encourage everybody to get involved in the stock market and learn about it and mm -hmm. learn how they can um, manage their finances because it is important and it is an important skill that everybody should have, I think. So even if you have not that much money, whether it's on 100 euros, 1,000 euros, 10,000 euros, 
um, learn how to do something with it and learn how to allocate your money productively because yeah. it's going to help you in life always. Yeah. Um, and you can make money, of course. You can generate 20% returns if you're a good investor, right? If, right. You, if you invest $10,000 and you generate 20%, that, that's a lot of money for you. Yeah. But there's this discussion about fees, so uh, transaction fees that kind of eat into your investment mm -hmm. and taxes also. Yeah. Um, so for example, if you're an investor and you purchase, um, I would just an example, you, you purchase Poste Italiane, yeah. which is an Italian company. Mm -hmm. um, every six months, you earn 4% of your investment only from dividends. Okay. So the company pays you 4% of the stock price in dividends. Right. Uh, that dividend is taxed, taxed at 25%. Okay. Now, if your investment is a thousand euros, twenty five percent makes a big difference on your on your investment. Yeah. If your investment is ten million euros, mm -hmm. that twenty five percent is a bit less significant than on the thousand percent, just because of, of how math works. Yeah, <laughs> um, and so that's why I think that yeah, you can make money if you invest small sums, but of course you can make a lot more money when you have large sums to invest. Right. I feel like maybe. I don't know, advice that you would give uh, a person that is just starting, uh, like investing short term, of course, just do just a little bit of money mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, just try it out to see how, you know, just work, understand how the stock market works and everything else. Um, and then, yeah, of course, later on, investing a lot of money is just, it, it's a better yeah. um, solution to give, to win a lot of money. but. Yeah, there's I, I think risk. for like for individual people, the best advice that I can give is that if you have the time mm -hmm. to follow your investments and do research and if you actually are passionate about it and want to learn, then open a brokerage account mm -hmm. and select a few companies that you really believe in mm -hmm. um, and make your investments, even if it's small amounts of money. Right. Um, and if your if your choices are good, if your decisions are, are good decisions, good investment decisions, then you'll be a great investor. If on the other hand, you just want to better allocate your finances, better manage your finances, the best thing that you can do is invest in an index. So do passive investing. Yeah. So you just buy the index, let it sit there for a couple of years, yeah. go back a few years later, and most likely you'll have good returns. Yeah, no, fair enough, makes sense. All right, let's move on to the fourth one if you don't have anything else to... Let's go, let's do it. Um, yeah, so the fourth myth says high risk means high returns in the stock market, which, I mean, of course, we already covered a little bit, but like, what do you think? Uh, this is the easiest, actually. Yeah. So short answer, yes. Long answer, yes. Okay. This is, I think, one of the most fundamental rules that you have to remember. Okay. If you ever want to understand anything about how finance works and how capital markets work, it's like in physics, right? You have your main fundamental theoretical laws. Yeah. In finance, one of the main fundamental theoretical law is that if you want higher risk, if you want higher return, you need higher risk. Yeah. That's how it works. You cannot have something that is low risk or, and high return. Right. So when somebody on the street or somebody in a big flashy office mm. sells you something, I have this big, great investment idea, uh, no risk and super high return, you should run away because <laughs> it's a fraud. So yes. Um, if you want higher return, you're going to need to take on more risk. It's, it's a fundamental law. I mean, also like just, uh, intuitively speaking, if, if that wasn't the case, everybody would be rich because it would, it would, there would, there yeah. would be no risk at, uh, you know, investing a lot of money on, uh, just, uh, um, the stocks that, you know, they're gonna, gonna return money, but yeah, of course it's not, it doesn't work that way. But yeah, so it, it's kind of like. It's probably very intuitive, but yeah, it's it's something you need to clarify to a person maybe also needs wants to start uh, yeah. investing. I mean, I think uh, at the like lower level, everybody everybody knows that this is a fundamental rules of rule of finance. Right. Even if you don't understand finance, it yeah. doesn't make sense. But people tend to forget it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's I think the dangerous part. People tend to forget that, or people tend to be again uh, presumptuous and say no, I actually believe in this and I think it's low risk and high reward, yeah. which is just not possible. Of course. Oh, it's very interesting. And what, what do you think, um, 
let's say uh, it has been, uh, I don't know, maybe your personal experience, but in general, just like an investment that has been done recently or in the past that where the risk was so high, but the return was like so good. I don't know, maybe personally it's more more interesting, but I don't know if you have an example. <laughs> like a, a personal investment or in general, like what people have done? Okay, I'm gonna rephrase the question. Let's say a high risk, a uh, high risk investment that surprised you particularly then which gave like a big return um not not yeah. not for you personally but like for a person in general like, who invested uh. i mean and and we'll start the discussion about cryptocurrencies and bitcoin you can look at bitcoin as as a really really risky move if people i personally didn't but the people who invested in bitcoin in 2013 yeah when bitcoin was literally nothing right uh, it was worth pennies um and they invested some people invested like huge amounts we're talking about like millions of dollars right um and they had the let's say the courage and the patience to keep it for 10 not not 10 but seven years um and if you've bought if you've bought bitcoin in 2013 then right now you're enjoying life on yeah. a beach somewhere right uh so that was a really high risk Uh, investment that yielded a really really high return yeah. um, but it took a while it took seven years yeah, so you have to you need to have the guts to to be able to wait seven years yeah for for your return to come back yeah because it's very easy to be like oh the uh, today the stock went up just like a little bit and just like oh, i'm gonna get it exactly. out yeah. right away i think a lot of people one of the reasons why many people lose money in the stock market is because they don't have you need patience and discipline to make money yeah So you need to be patient and you need to be disciplined. So when your stock, it can happen that your stock, uh, your investment goes down 10% in one day. Right. And for some people, it's not easy. They're like, it goes down 10%. Okay, I'm selling immediately. Yeah. Whereas you really need to be disciplined enough to say, okay, let's think about this rationally. And, you know, what are, what are the chances that it's going to go back up another 10% or down another 10%? Yeah. It's like the, um, the thing about people... Uh, betting on Leicester winning the Premier League exactly. at the beginning of the league and then just uh, actually like I think maybe the 10 games away from the I think they were first at the 10 games before the end of the league and the betting company um, told all of the people all of the people that bet on Leicester they told them okay so we're gonna give you 60 or I don't know 70% of the money I don't know exactly um, but you can take it now and you're not gonna risk waiting mm -hmm. these 10 days um, instead of you know getting the full uh, the full return but you know in 10 days and of course many people did it just because but it wasn't even it wasn't even 60% I think it was even less I don't remember exactly how they much took it the was. money before yeah they took uh, many people took the money before because they didn't want to take the risk exactly. and uh, maybe as you said they didn't think rationally but like you know Leicester was doing so well and Rationally speaking, you know, you're, you've done so well after 30 games, the last 10 games, you're just 10 games away from your dream, uh, like the dream of most of the players that played in that team yeah. that, that year. So, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, it's that's where we go back to the conversation of gambling. Yeah, right. right. Gambling is the same thing. It's about also discipline in yeah. some ways. Yeah. Um, so that's where the, the connection some. That's where the connection is. Yeah, yeah because I feel like sometimes uh, people just uh, lose the rationale and uh, yeah, and that's where they start gambling instead of investing. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I think mm -hmm. it's obviously it's hard to say, okay, let's put emotions aside because you're still dealing, dealing with real money, especially if you're a retail investor, an individual investor yeah. that has your savings, you have your savings invested in, in the stock market and you lose 10% in a day, that's 10% of your savings. Yeah. It's quite significant. So obviously it's hard to, to have that kind of mentality. And, and that's why I think that what, what we were saying before about everybody can take part in the capital markets, but you need to be educated about it. Yeah. Like you need to know what you're doing. Yeah, no, of course. All right, I think that's a good answer to the fourth myth. Okay, should we move on to the next one? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, so the next one is, uh, the next one says you have to follow stock markets Uh, sorry, you have to follow stock market news daily. Is that uh, true, false? Um, personally, I think it's false. Some people believe it's true. 
I mean, I'll just rephrase the, the sentence a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that you have to be really good at filtering out information. Okay. Because we talked about the fundamental rules, the fundamental laws about risk and reward. Another fundamental law is that prices in the stock market react to information. The important part is that they react to relevant information. So what is the relevant information that's going to actually impact the company? If there's a news, let's take Apple, for example. Um, There's a news about consumers, like 100 consumers in Texas. This is made up, of course. But 100 consumers in Texas uh, suing Apple because their um, phone screens are broken. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's not going to impact the stock price because shareholders honestly don't give a shit about 100 consumers. Right. It doesn't make a dent. It doesn't create a dent in the company's earnings, in the company's revenues. Another news is Apple, uh, instead of selling 60 million iPhones this year, is going to sell 40 million iPhones this year. Mm-hmm. That's relevant pieces of information. That's going to impact the company significantly. And so that's going to impact the price. Right. And I think today we, I mean, our generation takes all of the information from Instagram, from our social media. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that the last time that people generally don't open uh, news websites anymore. Yeah. And on social media, the dangerous thing is that your, the information that gets to you is already filtered. So it's already filtered according to what you like. Yeah. So if, you, if you're in love with Tesla, you're only going to read information about Tesla. Or if you're in love with anything Bitcoin, you're only going to read information about Bitcoin. And so you're not going to get the full picture about what's happening. I don't think you have to read the news every day, but you have to be very careful about what kind of news you read. Yeah. So there, for example, I think the perfect example is what's happening right now. If you ask, if you ask any young person, young investor, mm-hmm. uh, a simple question that says, you know, tell me about what is the most important piece of news that you read today about the market. A lot of people are going to tell you Tesla, Bitcoin, mm-hmm. Apple, Microsoft, the fancy stuff. The trending. The uh, trending. The stuff that goes on Instagram and you put like, yeah, right? Yeah. The most important topic right now in the market is inflation. And people don't talk about it. I mean, young people don't talk about it. Right. Um, and again, that's because our information is filtered and that's because we're bombarded with so much information that we don't know. We don't really know what to look at or right. where to look at. Um, so I think more than following news daily, you have to be very, um, more very open-minded, more open-minded, maybe. very careful about what information you read Yeah. because not all the information that you read is going to, uh, impact you or impact your investment process. You need to be very careful and strategic about, okay, I, I read something today. I know that this is going to be important or I read something today. I know that this is not going to matter in two weeks or one month. Right. Okay. Right. Like for example, because you were talking about Apple before, like I, I remember the, um, the 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 I don't remember which iPhone it was, but like the one that kind of bent, that was bending. Mm-hmm. I imagine like maybe like some investors said, "Oh, I'm gonna take out all of the money from my investing," but like maybe a smart person would have been like, "Okay, like yeah, this yeah. is just something that just happened." And in fact, Apple got. Um, I think it was iPhone 6 yeah. and they got iPhone 6s right after, you know, so like that kind of um, solved that problem. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a perfect example. So yeah. I think the, the bend, the bending thing was 2014, 2015 with iPhone 6. Yeah. Nobody talks about it today. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, maybe dur- during the, the, the day of the announcement or the week of the announcement, Apple's share price w- yeah. went lower like 2%, but if you invested in Apple in 2014 and you still have Apple today, you've made huge returns. Of course. Because in the big schemes of things, like over the long term, yeah. that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. Interest rates matter, inflation matter, how the economy is doing matters. That's right. what actually is going to impact your investment. Uh, okay, so do, do you have anything else to say about, the, about this uh, myth or um, not really? No, I think I, I would say, if I can give some advice, I would say is be careful about what you read Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't take your information from Instagram yeah. <laughs> and uh, but because that, that was also a thing like the bending thing what became a meme as well it became yeah. a meme and like I think Samsung also kind of like made I think it, they made ads Maybe about made that it, yeah. yeah they made fun of it Possibly. so it, it all became a meme and everything so everything 
goes through social media and the effects that social media affects I mean, so many people. To, today with social media, it's so easy for, for one particular thing that can be irrelevant to get out of control, yeah. right? Have everybody talk about it. Yeah. Um, so for example, GameStop yeah. is a perfect example of this. GameStop until last year was an irrelevant company, a company that was basically dying. Yeah. Um, I, I think every company has like a life cycle that's mm. similar to humans, right? Yeah. Babies, teenagers, adults, and then we're old people. Uh, GameStop was an old person, like a 90-year-old. <laughs> okay, about to die. About to Alzheimer, die. cancer, and... Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nobody cared about GameStop. Uh, investors knew that it was a dying business because nobody buys DVDs or physical games anymore. Yeah. And because of like social media, because of Reddit and every, everything that happened on the social media platforms, the thing just blew out of control yeah. and uh, we started having, I think it was around January or February, everybody was talking about GameStop. Yeah. You talking to people on the street, they talk to you about GameStop. It, that stuff doesn't matter in the long term. That stuff is like just noise. I think an important concept in finance is noise. So when we talk about information, there's information that makes an impact and then everything, everything else surrounding it is just noise. Right. That, can be noisy and so it can make an impact in the short term, but in the long term, it's just, it's like wind, it'll just go away. Right, yeah. I mean, especially because something like that, again, that was mostly like a meme. It wasn't maintainable. Like you can't just maintain a company alive just because of a meme or just because like a Reddit, uh, a few people on Reddit decided to invest on it. So of course, uh, like this is probably the most uh, extreme like a definition that you can give when it comes to noise, probably. Yeah, like. exactly. I mean, uh, the company was, it's quite interesting because still the company today, if you look at the valuation of the company, how the market values the company, mm. it's still, I think, way above what it should be because there's still like some residue of this noise that we had last year. I mean, there's plenty of forces and we can get into the specifics. There's plenty of forces playing out there. Um, but at the end of the day, GameStop is a perfect example of what noise in the financial markets is. It's right. stuff that makes a lot of noise, makes a lot of uh, impact, but concretely, um, it doesn't really change things. Yeah, like, yeah. The smart investors, the big institutional investors, uh, they laughed at people when people that were, happened. When, when GameStop happened. They were like having a good laugh behind it and making money. Um, because smart investors, they don't give a shit about GameStop or or, yeah. or what Elon Musk is doing, they're looking at the more important things. Like, do you think because there are so people that made quite a bit of money, right? With GameStop, of course, maybe not nothing compared to what real investors do, but still, I mean, do you think that this kind of things will happen again, maybe or? I I think it can definitely happen again. I mean, the risk the risk of it happening again is is there, and it's a likelihood. I don't know if I can give like a, a proper probability about it, but anything can happen in the market. Um, one of the most common aspects is that things tend to repeat themselves in the market. So for example, there's this aspect about speculative bubbles, okay. right? So uh, speculative bubbles are periods of a long time, periods of a long time, long periods of time, <laughs> uh, long periods of time when people just act irrationally and they they bet for something or against something for a long period of time and the price keeps going up and there's no fundamental reason for it, but it just keeps going up. And then it arrives at a certain point and the bubble explodes. And we had that in 1929 with the Great Depression. We had it again with the dot-com bubble in the early 2000s. Uh, the financial crisis was another type of bubble. So it keeps happening over time. It'll likely happen again in the future. Um, so these kind of things keep happening. They, maybe they, they, they manifest themselves in different kinds of way. So we're, we're probably not going to have another GameStop-like situation, right. but it's going to manifest itself in a different way. No. So you're going to keep seeing speculative behavior and irrational behavior in the market. That's, right. that's one of the characteristics uh, of the market. Because if you think about it, I mean, it's quite interesting. At the end of the day, we talk about the market and the market and the market there's people behind. So there's irrational human behavior driving some of the decisions. And as long as there's, there's humans behind the market, we're gonna keep these things 
like these things are gonna keep happening. I no. think there are many people that are that were like they kind of looked up to these people on Reddit that they created this uh, um, group. They kind of went against the system. They they it was almost like a protest against uh, Wall Street, the brokers, and all of the traditional uh, kind of investment. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. community yeah community so what do you think about that it's exactly exactly as you said it GameStop is the perfect example of uh, the story that appeals to people so mm. the story is essentially David versus Goliath so mm. the big versus the small right and as soon as people think as soon as people hear about David versus Goliath I think also instinctively we want to go with the Davids of the world okay we want to go against the Goliaths of the world and of course, the Goliaths of the world are the big banks, the big financial institutions. Yeah. So as soon as there's an opportunity to go against the big banks, go against the financial institutions, um, people are going to take that opportunity. And that's exactly what happened with GameStop. Nobody really knew what was going on. Yeah. I, I can guarantee you that at least 40% of the people that invested in GameStop, they, 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 didn't, they didn't hear about, like they, they've never heard about GameStop before. But still, they liked the story. They liked being the, 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 the Davids of the world. The Robin and Hood. The Robin Hood, yeah. Giving back to the poor. All that kind of, all those bullshit stories that people yeah. tell themselves. In reality, it's, it's never like that. And I think also like this brings up another argument, which is quite interesting. Bank, banks are always the ones that we, we as, as, as humans, as a society, we criticize the most. But and the reason why we criticize it is because we, we don't understand how they work. Right. The majority of people, I think they, if you ask them, explain to me how a bank works, they don't know. Not because they're stupid, but just because they're, they've never actually asked the right questions. Mm. And so it's easy to say, yeah, the bank just gives money to the rich or the bank just, yeah. uh, you know, enhances income inequality across the world. But I think once people understand the crucial role that a bank plays in the economic system, banks are essential. Like you of can't live without them. Uh, banks the same way, financial institutions and other types of financial services companies. Yeah. And, uh, and for GameStop, it was so easy, I think, to say, yeah, banks are, are the evils of the world. Let's, let's organize ourselves and, uh, and go against them. If you look at what happened after, um, the majority, the, the people who lost the most money were actually individual people. Some of the speculators, like the big financial institutions, some of them lost quite a lot of money, but they're doing fine now because they have the resources. The people who lost the most money, unfortunately, are the, the retail investors who got caught up in all these hype. Mm. And now they, they, they invested at the wrong moment just before the stock crashed and, uh, and they lost their money. Right. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. And, and you understand there that the, the story of David versus Goliath is not really, it's not really real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, mostly. It's a fake hero or a fake. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same thing that politicians do. So politicians always have to find an enemy, right? Yeah. They say immigrants are the enemy. When immigrants are not there anymore, they say that Europe is the enemy. Whatever yeah. other example, uh, you always have to find somebody that is the enemy. So it's us against them. It's yeah. the small investors versus the big investors. But unfortunately, that's not that's not really how the world works. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like okay, I I kind of understand. I can understand maybe like I completely agree with you, but I can also understand maybe people that are like, oh, um, yeah, these brokers uh, they are so unfair and so on and so on. They just want to make themselves rich. You're saying that it's not correct, but like let's I kind of understand this the, the, these people that say these things. But the thing is, these people on Reddit almost disrespected their job in a way. I don't know, because there are people that have a job for that. And I don't know, they, I don't know, they just decided, oh, you know what, fuck uh, the market, the market rules. I'm just gonna, yeah. gonna invest on a random company that's gonna die in a few years. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a way they, we can say that they disrespected the job or maybe better is that they, they undermined what their role in the market is. So we were talking about right. GameStop being uh, the retail investors versus the banks and the big financial institutions. In reality, it's a bit more uh, specific than that. It's GameStop, the Reddit people going against what's the so-called a short seller. Mm. So normally, so far, at least in the conversation, we've been talking about 
you invest in something, so it means you buy something. You believe in a company, you believe that the business is good, and so you buy it and you become a shareholder. What short sellers do, they do the exact thing, they do the, the exact opposite. So they say, I don't believe this company is gonna exist in 10 years, and so I'm gonna short sell it, okay? Right. I'm gonna borrow it from somebody else, sell it short, and make a profit from it. Yeah. it. It sounds hard, but it's actually, the specifics are actually quite easy. And so the Reddit people say, said, why are you behaving like this? Why do you have to bet against the company? What the Reddit people didn't know is that short selling has existed forever and it's a fundamental aspect of how financial markets work. Because in order for financial markets to work properly, they need to be efficient. And in order to be efficient, you need to have two sides to everything. You need to have the, the side that buys and the side that sells. Mm. So through short selling, for example, uh, over time we've uncovered some of the biggest corporate frauds in the world. So through short selling, you're able to actually uncover some really unethical behavior that companies have. An example is Enron, one of the most the biggest uh, scandals in, uh, in corporate accounting in the world, in history. Another more recent example is Wirecard, where basically companies, they, they invent numbers that don't exist. They uh, manufacture their books, right. their accounting books, their numbers, uh, their finances. They, they take numbers that don't exist. They increase profits that don't exist. Um, and of course, once it's like a house of cards, once, once the house collapses, you have all the shareholders that, uh, lose from it. Yeah. And so if, uh, short sellers are able to identify those companies in the market and say, Hey, we believe that this company is a fraud, then it benefits the market because the market becomes more efficient. Right. And I think that's one of the, the key aspects that the Reddit people didn't understand in the conversation about GameStop. Yeah. Yeah. Is that short sellers, yes, they can be evil and they can, they can just be like, you know, big hedge funds guy who want to just make money quickly. Right. But there's lots of short sellers that actually are good for the market. Of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, if there's that job, like there must be a reason, there must be a function, a exactly. fair function for the market and for society. So, okay. So I think we discussed a lot about this myth in particular. So let's move on probably to a very, I mean, this next myth is very related, I guess. It's kind of related. I don't know. But I mean, I'll just say it and I'll see what you think. Uh, financial advisors are too expensive. <laughs> what do you think? Um, short answer is yes. Long answer is no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just giving you really contradicting answers. Uh, financial advisors are too expensive. Yes, the fees are quite expensive, um, especially if you invest in the... I mean, there's this... I think it's, it makes complete, complete sense that if you want good performance, you have to invest in the financial advisors that have earned a good performance. So remember before we were talking about, it's not just about earning good returns for one year, it's about earning good returns every year for 20 years. Yeah. So you wanna find those financial advisors that are able to do that, and there's not many. And of course, when you find those, they're gonna make you pay for their services, as they should. Um, there's also this, let's say, more recent trend where not necessarily financial advisors, but brokerage firms. So for, for us, for individual investors, we're not gonna go to a financial advisor because we don't have $10 million to give them. I mean, at least we, <laughs> you and I don't have $10 million, but we, we invest through brokerage firms. So those are the firms like the uh, Giro in the UK, Robinhood is a more recent example. And these firms, they earn commissions. Right. And there's the trend, the recent trend is that before, when you used to go to a broker, a broker, let's say you want to invest and I'm the broker, you come to me, you say, I want to buy 100 shares of Apple. Mm -hmm. I'll say, okay, I'll let you buy 100 shares of Apple, but you'll pay me a commission because I'm helping you buy. Right. Right, normal business model. This business model is becoming obsolete because firms like Robinhood, new brokerage firms that yeah. are coming onto the market, they're saying, I'm not going to charge you any commission. I found another way to make money which is a bit technical, but it's called payment for order flow. So yeah. I, I personally find another way to make money. So you can trade without any commissions. Right. And so right now the costs for trading are zero, mm -hmm. but uh, these are like the direct costs. The indirect costs, they're still there. People don't know it, but the thing that we're talking about payment for order flow, there's a, like an active debate going on, but it can hurt consumers or investors in the long term. Because right. it makes things a lot less transparent. Okay. 
So financial advisors are expensive, yes, if you're an individual especially. Today, I think you have, there's this thing called zero commission trading, where you can trade and invest for zero commissions. Um, but again, like there's nothing free in this world. So yeah. if you want something, you have to pay for it. Yeah. And um, even if, if on paper it appears free, it's actually not. Mm. Like, it's like Facebook, right? The product is free, but that means that you're the product. So it's the same thing with Robinhood. Right. You're becoming the product. Basically, what's happening with payment for order flow, they're selling your data to other people. Yeah, 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 of course. Exactly. Like, like everybody. <laughs> like everybody right now. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, transaction fees are, became obsolete uh, because right now uh, they make money. This kind of companies make money with data, make money with mm -hmm. uh, just a very different way. It's just a different way to make money. But... What, I mean, of course, to a person that is starting right now, uh, especially at the beginning, who is starting to invest, uh, it's not going to have a financial advisor. No. But, uh, but at the same time, as you said, there are so many uh, resources online that you can find. Of course, don't put yourself into Twitter or Instagram to find uh, market, uh, uh, market opportunities just because they're going to be based on your own uh, liking and your own kind of... Um, profile mm -hmm. so you have to be more open-minded find uh, journals uh, even papers or whatever to be well not papers or I don't know news or whatever to to be able to invest in a more effective way yeah the conversation that we were having before it's uh, yeah it's not worth for individual investors it's not worth having financial advisors but uh, if you do decide to invest then you need to be careful about the information that you're digesting yeah um, and again, there's plenty of information, so you have to be quite selective about what you read and especially not necessarily what you read, but how you digest it, how you interpret it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Mm. All right. Next do you want to say anything else for this one? Or? I, think, I think we said everything. I mean, I think this was the, the easiest. Yeah. Uh, not the easiest, but the shortest of the, the myths. Okay, so let's go to the next one then. Um, this one says... Timing the market is the only way to make money. False. False? <laughs> Actually, uh, this is the, the shortest answer. Ah, really? <laughs> um, I think like there, there's plenty of evidence. Well, maybe Bitcoin is probably a good one or no. Because Bitcoin, like, because in the last two years, didn't it decrease a lot, but then it came back up? I don't mm. know. Or no, I don't know. Yeah, it's mean, a bad Bit example. Bitcoin is like, it's very volatile as an investment. So it can go up and down 10% in one month. Right. So it's, it's quite volatile. Uh, I think people, people have this uh, notion that you have to enter the market at a very specific point. Otherwise, you won't make money. Or you have to sell at a very specific point. Otherwise, you won't make money. I think one of the most common used sentences is, buy low sell high right right yeah. so buy low and sell high yeah that's bullshit right <laughs> there's there's plenty of evidence academic evidence uh empirical evidence that says that timing strategies so when you when you when you spend time to actually understand when to enter the market and when to exit the market um it's not profitable so it doesn't make a difference on your returns okay so it's because you, you really can't understand when to enter a particular position or when to start a transaction. Be, because part of the, 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 the difficulty of, of being an investor is not knowing the future. So not knowing what's going to happen in the future. So how can you know that your, your timing today is right when you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow? Mm. Um, so I, I think maybe I, I can rephrase it. Timing the market is, is, is a waste of time. Okay. So it doesn't help over the long term. It doesn't help with your returns. Right. So, so if let's say, let's say just one example. Yeah. Um, if I buy Apple today or if I decide to buy Apple next month, the, the likelihood is very high that over a two year period, my return is not going to be impacted by this one month difference. Right. Uh, of course, if like we're doing trading instead of investing, that's of course the timing is everything. Yeah. So yeah. because we're dealing with short amount of time, the timing is everything. Yeah. And there's plenty of, tra of strategies in uh, like technical analysis where you're there and you're analyzing the charts and you're there like minute by minute. Right. Because every minute can be a difference of a million dollars for some, for some institutions. 
Yeah. So it's quite critical that you really understand when to enter the market. Yeah. But since I think most people are more comfortable with investing than trading, um, timing is, is generally not important. Yeah. The time you can also try to almost spend, but waste to try to make these assumptions exactly, and these yeah, yeah. uh, these predictions, but they will probably not be true. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, also, I think people there's this. Uh, a lot of people say that uh, the majority of people enter the market when everybody's buying. Yeah. And the and the majority of people exit the market where everybody's selling. So it's like a, you're you're following the trend. Yeah. I think if we want to talk about timing, you have to do the opposite. Right. So you have to be, I think it was Warren Buffett that said it, you have to be greedy when the other people are uh, fearful yeah. and fearful when the other people are greedy. Yeah. So you have to kind of go opposite the trend. Yeah, of course. I mean, if you, if you go before the actual uh, mass, then you, that's when you win the money, I guess. Uh, that's when you yeah. get, get Or when everybody else is selling. Yeah. So when prices are going down, 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 yeah. that's where you buy. That's where you buy, yeah. It's not easy, but that's what you should do. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. So do it. You that you're listening, just do it now. Go now. <laughs> Go. <laughs> okay, so, that, I mean, yeah, that, that was probably an easy one. Maybe the next one will be a little bit more difficult. Let's see. So the more, the, the, this one says, the more funds you have, the better diversified your portfolio will be. Short answer, yes. Long answer, mm -hmm. Guess the long answer. No. no. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so short answer, yes. Long answer, no. Um, I mean, this is another, we were talking about like fundamental ro um, rules of finance. This is another fundamental rules, rule. So it's all about diversification, right? I think everybody's heard it before. Yeah. The more you're diversified, the better it is. And logically, it makes sense. Let's imagine you have a portfolio that's composed of just Apple shares. Yeah. Something happens to Apple. I don't know. The CEO, it turns out he's a major fraud. Right. Your whole portfolio is going to suffer from it. If, on the other hand, you have a portfolio with Apple, uh, Nestle, Post Italiane, Technogym, whatever, uh, a, a wide variety of different, um, different securities, preferably in different sectors. So technology sector, food and beverage, uh, leisure sector. Yeah. Then if Apple goes, something goes, goes wrong with Apple, so Apple goes down 10%, your other investment are kind of counterbalancing the effect of Apple. Right. And so your loss won't be as significant. And so that's diversification explained very, very simply. Why did I say no as the long answer is because I personally think that as an individual, it's very hard to invest in 20, 30 different companies. Right. So ideally, because of diversification, you would have a portfolio with 30 companies inside. Mm. But as an individual, how can you spend that much time and dedicate that much energy to 30 different companies? I would much rather prefer invest in 10 companies that I know inside out, that I've yeah. studied and I know that they're not going to fail and yeah. they're going to be good investments. Then have an investment with 30 companies that I know very little about yeah. um, because I, I didn't study them. Because to have a portfolio of securities, you need time, right? You need to dedicate some time. And personally, I think that it's much easier to dedicate time to a smaller amount of securities, 10 companies, seven companies that you really know inside out, you know, every detail about the business model, the financials, the numbers, everything, because you just physically or, or like from a human perspective, you can't manage something that's about 10, 10 companies, I think. Right. It's really difficult. Let's say, let's say somebody has a portfolio of um, Apple, Samsung, uh, LG, and Philips. Would you say that's a very bad way to diversify? I mean, obviously, it's not very diversified because it's all in the technology, digital world. Is that maybe a bad portfolio? I mean, it's difficult. I guess it's difficult to uh, like try to judge this kind of portfolio. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. <laughs> I think this is the answer to most things. Yeah. So it is a badly diversified portfolio if you yeah. want. Because when you, if you decide to diversify your investments, you need to make sure that it's in different sectors. So in finance, we talk about correlation. Yeah. You have this correlation coefficient, uh, which sounds hard, but it's not. So basically, every, every stock, every security 
has a correlation coefficient mm -hmm. every two securities. And ideally, you would have a correlation coefficient that is minus one. They're not correlated, right? Right. Uh, so when one goes up, the other one goes down. Okay. Or when one goes down, the other one goes up. If you invest all, all of your savings, all of your investments in technology, it can be a great investment because technology can go up. So the entire sector can go up. But of course, if technology, the technology sector goes poorly, performs poorly, then your investment won't be as, uh, as successful. In your, in your specific example, you have, I mean, there's different types of diversification. So there's sectors from a sector perspective, from a country perspective. In your, in your uh, example, your portfolio is perfectly diversified from a country perspective. Mm. So you have US, Korea, uh, Philips, Asia, plenty of countries, plenty of different regions. Mm. Um, so it depends how you diversify, but again, everything is relative, right? Yeah. So you can say that that particular portfolio that you just mentioned is not diversified compared to something else. But compared to a portfolio of just Apple, yeah, your portfolio is perfectly it's, diversified. It's better. Mm -hmm. But to be fair, and also, would it be wouldn't it be safe to be like, oh, I'm gonna invest? I mean, not safe, but in a way, it can be safer to invest on two competitors because if one is going is going bad, maybe the other one is going better. So you're like, oh, at least I'm gonna, I don't know. Let's say Apple goes. I mean. Apple does way, way better than Samsung and Samsung is going to fail. I mean, of course, it's not going to happen, but because Samsung has so many other things, of course, not only phones. And, mm -hmm. But so maybe so you're like, oh, I'm going to invest on both so that if that one, when one fails, the other one is maybe it's going to do better. And uh, I don't know. Is it safer? Does it, does it make sense? Safer to invest in two different competitors. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of examples where you invest in, in similar companies. M most portfolios today have all the tech companies. So they have Apple, right. they have Google, they have Facebook, they have Amazon, yeah. they have Netflix, because those companies are, are great companies. Yeah. And yet Facebook and Google are competitors, Amazon and Facebook are competitors, yeah. uh, Amazon and Microsoft are competitors. Mm. Um, so it's not, I wouldn't say that it's safer, but it's not a mistake. It's a good strategy. It can be a good, it, it can, can be, be a, a strategy. strategy, of yeah. course. From a diversification point of view, the more companies you have, the more diversified you, you are yeah. um, and the less risk you take. Yeah. So let's say that the number of companies in your portfolio is N, right? N companies. Yeah. As N goes to infinity, your risk goes to zero. To zero, ah, of course. Very simply. Of course. Uh, but again, it's what we were saying before. You can do that if you're an institutional investor, if you're a large company with large resources, with like a team of 100 analysts that can follow all the companies. Yeah. When you're an individual like us, it's harder, right? To oh, follow yeah. 35 companies. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's uh, move on to the next myth. It's too late. This one says it's too late to start investing for retirement. Yeah. I think this is interesting also for the ones who are still listening. <laughs> no, for, for the listeners. Those five people. Um, <laughs> because you're, you're wondering, okay, how does this conversation apply to me? And what can I do to, to invest for retirement? Um, a lot of people, I think they have this notion that they say to themselves, I'll think about retirement when I'm older. Yeah. And that's a mistake because you should start saving for your retirement uh, as soon as you can, really. Yeah. So as soon as you, can, you have access to some money, whether it's a salary or whether it's other types of, of income, you should start saving for for your um, your retirement because it's it's the law of compounding right yeah so the more time you 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 spend doing something it's going to compound every year yeah and it's going to get grow exponentially one euro two euros four eight sixteen it grows exponentially yeah um is it too late to start investing i personally i think it's never too late to start investing yeah because Obviously, it depends what your objective is. So if it's just for fun or for gambling, I would personally say don't do it when you're 70 years old because yeah. it's not really worth it. But I think anyone can start investing at any point. I would actually say that most people should start investing when they're younger. So when they're 16, 17. Yeah. Because you can make lots of mistakes and you can learn a lot and it won't be as... Uh, let's impactful, say, as like impactful, it, yeah. exactly, as impactful 
as if you're like 45 of already. course if you, you don't or have 50. you don't have sons or daughters at this point exactly you children well there are many games like they there are many games that they do this kind of kids or teenagers they do without money they just, yeah, you know, just that's, invest that's uh, how i that's how i actually started to do it yeah so i when i was 16 i didn't have money saved up yeah. right or money that i could invest and i just said i'm gonna open like a simulation account yeah and that's what i did my simulation account was like fifty thousand euros right and that's what i did for two years until i became uh 18 to open a, a brokerage account yeah and i learned so much during those two years and I didn't care if I was making mistakes because it was fake money. Yeah. But I was learning so much, and uh, and that was really helpful in my in my personal experience, yeah. because it allowed me to learn so many of the lessons that people usually take a lot of time to to learn. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great way to get into it, and I feel like it's also very intimidating to start because like you're like oh maybe I lost the. I lost the opportunity because you see so many lost opportunities. You're like, oh, I should have invested on Amazon mm. 20 years ago, mm. or I should have invested on I don't know Tesla or Bitcoin or whatever. Um, but there's gonna be a new Tesla. There's gonna be a new Bitcoin. There's gonna be a new, of course. There are so many of them that are developing now. So you you can never see what's gonna happen. And it, it, maybe it sounds intimidating, but if if you if you're interested, just do it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean absolutely, yeah. and also like. You don't necessarily have to find the yeah. new Teslas of the world, or yeah. the new Amazons of the world to make money. And that's one of the things that kind of pisses me off a bit. <laughs> because so many people talk to me about, uh, yeah, I'm, I want to find the next Tesla, I want to find the next Apple. Yeah. Those are just the, the, the 10 companies that you see on, on the news every day. Right. But out of those 10 companies, there's a thousand other companies that are great companies that can be great investments. Yeah. And that people just don't know about don't know they don't know about them yeah. because they, they don't have the curiosity sometimes to to go out and, and read and and inform themselves. But exactly, you don't need to find the next Teslas of the world to make money. There's yeah. plenty of other companies, great companies that uh, that are still out there and it's never too late to invest in them. Yeah. Um and uh, and you're just gonna be fine even if you don't have the next Tesla in your portfolio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's almost a uh, inspirational, inspirational way to end. Default. I can also say something. Uh, I think a good investment would be to invest on, because obviously airlines right now are shitty because of COVID. But there's one which I worked for. It's called JetBlue Airways. <laughs> and like. it just flew to London for the first time from New York. So that's a good investment, I think. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I think one of the things we, we, we haven't talked about, and I'll be very short, um, it's like... You identify the investments, yes. So you need to identify the, the great companies that you need to invest in. Yeah. But another thing is you need to understand, you need to really understand if the company that you're looking at is undervalued. Yeah. Because only if it is undervalued, then there will be a return. So think of Ferrari, for example, okay? Yeah. Ferrari is like, I think the share price is about 220 euros. Okay. Um, and it's one of the greatest companies in the world. Mm-hmm. A great brand known by everybody um they, they have the highest profit profits and margins in the automotive in the automotive industry but why would you buy ferrari everybody buys ferrari it's already fairly valued by the market right. so you have to buy those things that are undervalued by the market yeah because that's the only way you're gonna you're gonna make a make a profit and what you're saying about airlines is the perfect mentality yeah airlines have suffered a lot because of covid they're going through many challenges but it's exactly these challenges that might create some opportunities yeah. for, for the future. For the record, we're not here to give you financial advice. So <laughs> don't subscribe, buy or sell any securities. This is just our personal opinion. Otherwise, we'll get sued. We are, we are 100% experts and uh, you should 100% follow our advice and uh, disclaimer. Um, whatever you, we are saying, you should invest money right now. Right, right now. Yes. After right. this inspirational end, yes. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and uh, thank you so much, Lorenzo, for speaking with me. Thank you, Fido. And uh, bye. Bye bye. Have a good day or night or whenever you're listening to this.